This is Future Terms from Teach First, a half-termly panel event looking at the biggest issues facing schools in disadvantaged areas. Don't forget to subscribe to listen back to each event. But for now, enjoy the episode. Hi, my name is Amy Mitchell. I am the Head of Programme Insights and Digital Learning here at Teach First. I am an ambassador of the Teach First programme. I trained to teach as a secondary science teacher back in 2005, um, have done a range of jobs since then. Um, I'm also the chair of trustees for an ed tech charity, Learning with Parents, who, uh, and they have an ed tech platform that supports parental engagement in maths and English in primary schools. Um, really excited about this panel. This is our final panel in the Future Terms series. We know that schools have absolutely been at the heart of our community's COVID-19 response, and they have done some, some incredible things. And what this series of panels has aimed to do is to get expert voices from the sector to help school leaders plan for what we know is coming, what we don't know is coming, and to support one another through these, um, through these panels in trying to achieve what seemed like, and maybe seems like, uh, the impossible. Schools have been enormously flexible and innovative in their response and what I want to know as a result of this panel is what, if anything, is going to stick? What has changed that should go back immediately? What has changed that should never go back and why? That's really what I want to get to the bottom of um, today. So we know that schools have um, done a mixture of online and blended learning obviously during uh, during the period where no children or very few children were in school. Um, we know that schools have adopted collaborative technology teams, for example, and how they're doing that and what that's supporting them to be able to do. We know there has been attempts at increased parental engagement through technology to better support kids at home. There's been so much innovation and today really is an opportunity to explore that and to see what we can be doing more of as a community, as a sector. Uh, as and when we approach more kids being in school more routinely and we get back to a state of, of a state of normal or some semblance of normal in the next academic year or, or beyond. Um, so before we jump in with questions, what I'm going to do is introduce our panellists. So in alphabetical order, we've got Cassie Buchanan, who is the executive head teacher of Charles Dickens Primary and the CEO of the Charter Schools Education Trust. We've got Daisy Christodoulou, the director of education at No More Marking. Laddie Green Street, who is the head of Accenture Ventures UK, and Matt Hood, who is the principal of Oak National Academy. So what I'm going to do in that order, if it's okay, panellists, I'm going to come to you for up to five minutes just to introduce yourselves properly and to give us your brief take on what we're talking about. So first of all, I will hand over to Cassie. Hi, so um, yeah, I'm Cassie Buchanan. Um, I lead Charles Dickens Primary School and as well as a mat, um, but I think probably the Charles Dickens Primary School is the most interesting bit um, for this conversation. So we set up a virtual school um, that we decided because we were a teaching school and an education endowment foundation research school that we would make quite open source so that we could do our school improvement work in a very kind of transparent way. So that's that was the thinking behind um, what we did what we did which was to place everything on our homepage. very similar I guess in terms of open access to Oak 
um, National Academy, but it was one school rather than many schools working collaboratively. So that was the thinking behind it. Um, from that, uh, we, we, taught, we taught a full-time table of recorded, so what Daisy would call asynchronous um, learning experiences. And um, right from two-year-olds all the way up to 11-year-olds. Um, and more recently, we've decided and really thought about in terms of the what sticks, we've thought about how to specialise. So um, I've always been really interested in where are the gaps in terms of um, the education landscape and what, what elements of it can individual schools and teaching school alliances and mats fill as opposed to trying to do everything. So trying to do small things really well um, and, and how you can collaborate as we have learnt um, virtually rather than trying to sort of get everybody in a room and, and talking, sitting around carousel tables, which we're not allowed to do anymore, are we? So, um, so yeah, so we've set up a specialist music school, um, which is online and accessible for children um, or adults if they want to guess to have music lessons, singing lessons, um, instrument lessons. And then we're planning to do the same thing for well-being. Um, with a sort of three-tier system. So what we've learned through this process is actually schools are sort of stepping into the, um, the social care space, but, but how do you do that in a way that's sustainable? So we've created, taken that same idea that you would have in a school setting of quality first, teaching first, and then groups, and then individual um, sort of coaching, and we've replicated that in terms of, of well-being. So we've set that up and that will be launching soon. And then we're going to do the same thing for SEN and the same thing for modern languages and the same thing for phonics. So I suppose if you group all of those together, then what does that tell you? Well, it tells us that really sort of high quality um, online learning works um, in a way that you can, it's sort of anywhere and any place if it's recorded, which means that if you have specialist teachers, which um, you know we're primary, but we're actually moving to more and more that idea of one specialist teaching um, or planning in the case of primary, lots of lessons that others can deliver. Um, the next step from that would be what happens if somebody's not in the school or if you want to share that or if somebody's at home or you want to be able to um, train other people, then you also create that as a digital offer too. So that's, that's our thinking. Um, the other thing I suppose we have been grappling with, and it's something that I talked to Daisy about before, was what do you do about assessments? So if you have that plan, teach, assess and adjust, how do you do that um, when you have asynchronous lessons? Um, and so, and how do you provide that feedback loop? And I guess what we've learned about this whole process of online learning is you have to do, you have to do that. You have to do it for us for two reasons. One, that um, children need encouragement. So when you don't have that sort of people in the same room you have to give children something um, that that gives them the sort of encouragement to keep going um, and then the teachers need something to tell them how to adjust so um, we've been looking at various tech to try and solve that problem but we've sort of come back to google forms which sounds a bit basic but actually it's really working um, and giving teachers that that information to adjust and and what that, that gap looks like. So I think there's still quite a lot there in that space that schools, you know, including my school would really benefit sort of some shared thinking around to make, make that look really well. Um, I suppose the other thing that we have been thinking a lot about is 
is around really succinct explanations. So if you're talking about knowledge rich, which is working really well for us, then we spend quite a lot of training and particularly for, for ITT on classrooms and routines and behavior management before people get to the, the how to teach bit. Um, and an almost front loading, this is what a really good explanation looks like. This using the hour in a, you know, when time is precious, I think when you've, you've literally got 40 minutes in your Loom or your Zoom to, to get it done, um, people have really changed what they do and been quite exposed in that way. And, and seeing, seeing really good practice has really helped that. So there's something around CPD as well, which I think is, has been, you know, really powerful about just sort of sharing things in a very open way and watching yourself in the moment. So there's lots there. I think the questions around homework, which I'd be really interested to hear people's views on and, and how we use what's there, how we use our own videos, how we use Oak Academy, how we use other sort of tools. Um, and it's worked this time. So why has that worked and another sort of software hasn't worked in the past, I think is a question for us all to think about. And then there's the big question around curriculum and Actually, if you have a really good sequence curriculum and your curriculum is your progression model and it's detailed and planned, then you can go online, you can be agile, you can, you can pivot, as they say, not in education, but you can do all of that mm -hmm. quite fast. It's really hard to do it if you haven't got the tools. Um, so I think there's, there's loads. There's loads there that I think there. we take forward that I'm sure others have got other opinions on. There you go. I yeah, no, thanks, Cassie. I mean, I've been scribbling notes and there is there is a lot there. Um, I think pivoting and being able to pivot and having the sort of foundations that enable you to do that are critical and where they it, it comes back to where they are, where they aren't there. This is more difficult to achieve. So some of our schools who are yeah. in the most challenging circumstances are arguably finding this even, even yeah. harder. And I um, would I'm going to, oh, sorry. Yeah, I mean, difficult. And I think, you know, in some cases, impossible as yeah, well. Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah. So thank you, Cassie. Really, really helpful. And we'll come back around to a lot of that in the questions, I should think. Daisy, I'm going to come to you next. So um, sure. take us through a little bit about your, your your bio and your take on this situation. Great. Check. Can you hear me okay? All good, yeah. Yeah, great. Uh, so, yeah, um, so, yeah, like you, I did teach first. Um, but now work for no more marking. So we provide online comparative judgment assessments. Um, so it's been interesting for us. Uh, a lot of what we do already is online. And if I'm saying what have I seen in, in schools at the moment, what about what have I seen that's happening and, and, and what have been the changes that will stay and the ones that will fade away? I think one thing that might sound quite mundane and trivial, but I think is actually quite important is um, I think it's just really accelerated people's familiarity. Um, and people's uh, ability to, to use a lot of online platforms. And, and again, I know that sounds quite, quite trivial, but I think I was, I, was, I was speaking at a teacher development trust webinar a couple of weeks ago, where a member of senior team said there were always about 20 or 30 percent of teachers in their school just really didn't use or didn't even log on to the, the v, their VLE. And now you just have to. So again, I know that sounds quite basic, but I think just that bit of um, everyone having that kind of basic technological literacy I think that's going to have big implications because I think people will just naturally realise there's a lot more that you can do uh, online um, and a lot of things that people just didn't realise before. Uh, and, and I think that's it. I think some of these things that are maybe not necessarily as, as, as much in the, you know, in the public eye 
can still be really important. And I know when I spoke to Cassie, uh, when we did a webinar a couple of months ago, that must have been, um, she was talking about how, how her school used MailChimp. And that was something I'd never really thought of a school using MailChimp. And again, MailChimp is not something you know you sort of hear people talk about a lot. But I think even just tools like that are going to be really important. And the greater facility everybody has with those. Um, and, and similarly, Google Forms, which Cassie just mentioned, again, doesn't sound um, particularly sort of, you know, it's not a brand new tool, but it's something that um, is, is really useful. And I would say following on from that, I think the challenge of all good teaching is about feedback and about interactivity. How do you get that? And, and if, it, if, if, if it was just about, um, you know, if, if it wasn't about interactivity, you know, Gutenberg would have solved this problem with the printing press. <laughs> uh, if we had books uh, and you could give books and books meant that, that everyone was educated. The reason you still need teachers is that really um, speedy, real time, instant feedback. And I think the challenge is how do you get that using technology? And as I say, I think approaches like Cassie's where you're looking at the Google form, obviously MailChimp isn't as instant but getting those, using, using technology and using the internet to, to build in the interactivity is, is really important. Um, so I, I think that's where, that's where I think the really interesting challenges are um, and where, where we're starting to advance. I think that though, you know, on the subject of just the content, I think what we're seeing is a lot more well-organized content, content libraries, um, videos, worksheets, online resources, that those are all becoming better organized, easier to access. That's really important. Um, and obviously you're seeing Oak National and the, the videos they're doing. I think you're also seeing, to echo what Cassie said, the, the real importance of a lot of the, the work that people have done before this, it's probably the schools who are best prepared before it, who it's been easier for. If you've got a really well-sequenced curriculum, it's easier to, to move online. If you don't have it, it's a challenge. And it's also a challenge, I think, even at GCSE, a lot of our curriculums are quite fragmented. And I know that it's been difficult for people like Oak National and others to help schools when there's so many different pathways through GCSE. So I think it's focused a lot of attention on that as well. And finally, on the assessment front, which is the bit I'm interested in, um, I think it has made people think a lot more about online assessments. We do a lot of work with primary, but we've seen real interest and uptake for a new secondary assessment we're running. And I think part of that is, uh, well, partly because SATs have gone, so year seven secondaries don't have baselines. Uh, but it's also because I think being able to do things online and remotely has an attraction now as well. Um, so, I, I, yeah, all of those things, the, the curriculum assessment, pedagogy, um, how do you use technology in the best way to, to support those um, and, and, and do the best you can. Thanks, Daisy. And, and well done for not giving your book a plug, which is obviously critical to so much of that. Te teachers versus tech yeah, and talks right. about a lot of that. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, and I recommend it. And I just absolutely echo what you were saying around sort of how essential the role of teacher, the immediate feedback of teacher is. And I think uh, this is any talk about technology, the use of technology in the classroom is not about in any way substituting the teacher, which is absolutely critical to, to this. And I, and I I think that's a really important point. So thank you. And we'll definitely come back to a bit about the online assessment in particular, I would think, because that is definitely where it gets really challenging. Um, Laddie, I'll hand over to you for a sort of perspective outside of the classroom, which I think is really useful here. So over to you, Laddie. Yeah, and, and forgive me, I guess I'm uh, the, the outsider here in terms of being um, working across across industries. So 
bit about me, I, I'm also um, ex-Teachers, I'm an, an 08 ambassador, I believe. Um, and since then I've been working multiple industries, but the last uh, few years in the Accenture Ventures team. And so what Accenture Ventures essentially does is it, it bridges the gap between the startup ecosystem out there and Accenture's global 2000 clients. So think of a big name client, a big name uh, industry, whether it be in banking, retail, um, uh, or, or healthcare, or public service, any industry, um, Accenture works with them. And my role within the UK is to um, match the global startups, all the technology startups that um, exist, and, and serve them with their clients. And, and what that really means is that I'm responsible to help bring new innovation into these large companies. Um, and why that's important, uh, and why I feel it's important to, the, to this debate as many others, is that over the course of the last, you know, certainly since I've, the last nine years I've been working, we've seen each industry had to adapt to a new, a new normal. Um, and particularly now, um, we're all having to adapt across all industries to, the, to COVID and, and, um, and use technology in the right ways to aid that adaption. Um, what I think is particularly interesting about education, not just because um, I haven't been a teacher myself, but it's because a lot of innovation has been happening using technology um, for several years, gaining these efficiencies and advantages. But there's not yet been a dramatic shift in the technology that's been available within education. I mean, there's been some incremental examples of technology use, some good, some, some not so good. Um, and I think part of it, there's two parts to that. There's one part is the, um, I think there's the economic aspect to it in terms of the, the drivers for change. You know, when I was, I was working in healthcare and public service the last four years and uh, in the States, and obviously there's a big economic driver between the, the rising healthcare costs and um, that led a lot of the, uh, in Obamacare and those sort of things, which led a lot of innovation happen dr dramatically. And also there's a demand side, right? Um, in terms of, you know, from the consumer side in, in, in banking, for example, drives the demand for new education. And what I think what's happening right now is because of COVID, we're now gonna start to see that rapid increase and in influx of technology solutions that haven't yet been available, that they're gonna be there now because of COVID, because suddenly everyone's involved in education. I mean, everyone has been educated, but now you have parents, teachers, um, and students, and, and, and governments alike thinking about what the new normal is and having to adapt. And I think we all play that part. And, and one thing I want to well, be part of this conversation is to say, what part can we do by bringing all these people together and start to build that new normal? Um, in, 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 our, in our terms, as, as I've been working COVID response across um, other industries, it's been, you know, how do we respond? How do we adapt and how do we um, rebuild? And I think, you know, one of the conversations we go two ways is, of course, we need to uh, respond to, to this new normal, but also I'm really focused on how do we re rebuild? If, if this carries on for you know, two to three years, as it potentially, to, potentially could, I hope it doesn't, what does education look like? And it's really about, in my opinion, not trying to digitize the classroom and turn the classroom online. It's about understanding how, I mean, how can we educate, create an educational experience virtually, right? And I, I, I wholeheartedly agree, it's never been about replacing teachers. It's actually been about augmenting a teacher's role using um, the technology that's available to deliver um, the value where it was needed. And I had the same conversations when I speak to doctors about 
you know, I mean, I'm a user of Babylon Health, right? And when we brought technology into the hospitals, people were saying, well, you can't replace doctors. Doctors need to be there. And I think fundamentally, there was a lot of resistance to technology because they felt like they're about to be replaced by technology. And that's by no, no means what's happened. What they've done is replaced the mundane parts of the job that doctors have to do, the repetitive actions that doctors have to do each day. I mean, things like marking, right? Or for doctors, it's, it's things like filling out your, your, your script at the end of the day. They replaced them with computers, what computers are very good at, and allowed um, humans to have more time to be human, have more time to, to show empathy, to, to show understanding, to show creativity. And that's what we want to try and get to with technology. And, and the question now is, is how in this new, in the new world, how can we build education where we can use the technology that's available to allow teachers to have more time to do their job properly? And, and that's essentially what, um, what, what my focus in this area is to do, is to bring the startups already doing it and to bring the expertise that Accenture has to help any folks on the call who want to be part of that new future to help, to help really understand what that looks like. Thanks, Laddie. I mean, really interesting to hear an insight and to hear how you've worked with other sort of public sectors previously in this. I really liked what you said around respond and rebuild and also this allowing humans to have the time to be humans. We talk a lot about that at Teach First around um, giving people time, to, more time to do what they love most. And I think that is really important. It's freeing people up. So I really, um, that resonated. Lastly, I'll come to Matt and, and then we'll go to questions. So Matt, over to you. Uh, hi everybody, um, so my name's Matt, I'm the principal at Oak National Academy. Um, I'm also a 2007 uh, Teach First ambassador, actually trained with Daisy. Um, so uh, let's start with the things that I think are going to go, um, uh, or maybe even have gone. Um, uh, so uh, the, the main one I think that it's worth talking about here is um, and Anne Ros from the TES put this quite nicely in a uh, opinion piece that she wrote not too long ago. Um, I think the thing that will go is some of the futurology and um, uh, arguments about uh, we don't need these school buildings anymore. Uh, we can do the whole thing online. Um, you know, pupils don't need to, they can to choose what they want to do in what order they don't need to be in the building. I think um, we hear from a lot of parents and um, I think that what's become increasingly clear is uh, that um, there is a really strong role and will I think probably always be a really strong role for the social aspects of schooling beyond learning as important as I think and advocate and continue to advocate that learning aspect is. So, um, uh, you know, Anne's argument was, you know, that it, there's a sort of strange absence of these futurologists at this moment where you would expect them to be at the fore. Um, and I think that's quite insightful. Uh, and the individuals that I see across the system stepping up, stepping forward, doing things. Um, and, you know, Cassie is a great example here. I think you've asked six months ago, like, um, you know, <laughs> Are you expecting to be a sort of pseudo tech entrepreneur? Like probably the answer would have been no. Um, uh, correct me if I'm wrong there, Cassie. I don't mean to do you a disservice. Um, uh, and so I think that bit, I think that bit goes. Um, what do I think stays? Um, 
So I'm going to repeat a couple of points here, but just to emphasize them, I think Daisy's point is really important about the kind of um, appetite and general competency um, across like not only the education system, but, you know, more broadly. Um, uh, we've just about stopped, um, thankfully, uh, doing family Zoom calls. Um, uh, but, you know, everybody has become very proficient in doing things that would previously have been a little torturous, uh, including teachers. And I think that's to stay. Um, I think there is an efficiency that will stay. Um, I... Uh, made a decision in my previous role to switch all of our face-to-face -face coaching for teachers, this is professional development, uh, to online coaching. Um, so have the conversation with your coach online. You don't need to be in the, need to be in the building, uh, largely on efficiency grounds. And it was sort of a reasonably controversial decision at the time, um, but it saved tons of money and tons of travel costs and time for people shipping all over the, all over the country. And I think there are all kinds of things like that, that people will now do virtually without feeling the need to get on the train and travel all day, you know, uh, and, and, and that's probably here to stay. I think people's appetite for schlepping to things when they don't need to um, will, uh, will stay. Um, I think there is an, uh, what we'll say is that like an, an interesting expansion of technology into training and professional development for teachers. Um, we put resources out into the system for free with very little idea actually exactly how uh, teachers, school leaders and others might use them. And one of the really interesting use cases that's come up is alongside schools being closed, there's an implication for trainee teachers who haven't been able to be in schools observing lessons. Um, and what we've had is lots of ITT providers getting in touch with us saying, do you mind if we use some of your lessons as uh, observations and then get trainee teachers together afterwards to discuss what they thought and saw and uh, try and pick them apart and understand why they were constructed in the way that they were. Now, things are free, like go for it, like fill your boots, use them in whatever way possible. Um, uh, and what's, what's really interesting about that is, and um, it is, I think, moderately useful to observe another teacher in your subject teaching. I think it's very useful to observe a teacher in your subject teaching the thing that you're about to teach. And what technology allows us to do is um, to get closer to the detail of what it is that the trainee teacher or any teacher, in fact, is about to teach next week. Um, yes, useful seeing a lesson on uh, quadratic equations. Uh, but what I really need to know for next week is how do I explain Pythagoras theorem really clearly? And we've now got um, really good exemplars of lots of that in a way that we didn't have before. Um, the final thing that I think is here to stay but we've still got some work to do on it is I think, and I'm an advocate for in most cases, um, this sort of decentralized nature of the school system in England. But I think the crisis has exposed um, a lack of resilience that a very decentralized system like ours has. Um, it's meant that we have really wide variation right now um, uh, in what pupils have been doing at home over the uh, you know over the past term and um, we've got better over this term at being more resilient as a system and I think we need to get even better as we head into the next 12 months um, guidance out today on uh, on schools expectation that all schools are returning but I think it's folly for us to not think really carefully about what our plan b is and 
for plan B to be really good, I think three things need to be true. Um, the first one is we need to have much clearer expectations going into next year about what our pupils should be doing at home. Uh, for lots of really good reasons, we've kept those expectations quite relaxed at the moment. Uh, they've tightened up in the second half of the term, but I think they need to be much clearer um, uh, as we head into September. Um, the second thing is about access. Uh, we've been talking about this you know, a lot. There's the obvious one around devices. And you know, we know that there still are pupils that don't have access to a device, and that's a problem. And it makes switching to remote learning uh, difficult and, again, less resilient than we should be, in my view. The second sort of less reported, but I think equally potentially more significant issue is the issue of whitelisting. So this is where mobile phone companies uh, exempt education websites uh, from data charges. Um, if you're a poor family in England, you pay more for your gas than you do if you're a rich family because you're on a meter and it costs more. If you're a poor family in England, you pay more for your electricity for the same reason. Currently, if you're a poor family in England, you pay more to educate your children because you're more likely to get that through a mobile phone provider than you are free broadband. And that's a real problem and needs national solutions reasonably urgently. Um, it can't be okay that we charge uh, children from lower income families more to get educated at home than we do wealthier ones. And then the final point, which has been mentioned both by Cassie and Davy, is about flexibility uh, or agileness or being able to pivot or however want you to describe it. The question for schools, it's a really hard question, is how do I organize my curriculum in a way that allows me to seamlessly switch between in-school and home learning? Uh, we talk about it at Oak National Academy as reducing the friction there. Um, the sort of holy grail scenario is being able to teach lesson one, two, and three in your classroom. There's then a local lockdown, the pupils go home, see Leicester, and you have the mechanism to teach four, five, and six at home, whether that's synchronously or asynchronously. And um, again, a decentralized system where people teach different things and curricular and curricular development is varied across the system, like makes us less resilient than I think we need to be. So um, thinking about resilience, I think is going to stay, but I think we need to think harder about expectations, access and flexibility in order to um, get that bit of our system, you know, fighting fit as we head into September and what will be another, I think, uncertain and very difficult year for teachers and school leaders. Thank you very much, Matt. I mean, a wide variety of things covered there. Um, really pertinent, I think, around the CPD and the ITT thing around using ex exemplification, going back to what Cassie was saying earlier around seeing a succinct explanation and, and saying that it's interesting to hear that ITT are using that as well, which I think is really um, pertinent. Um, so before we go, jump into questions, I had a couple of questions teed up. I don't think I'm going to use them because we have got them coming thick and fast um, on the on the sidebar here. So for those on the call, please submit your questions um, to our panellists via the Q&A function, function or use uh, Twitter hashtag future terms panel. So I'm going to jump straight in. I'll direct the questions initially. If you have anything, just just jump in. Um, we'll try. There's quite there's a fair few. So let's be fairly rapid. We've only got 28 minutes. So um, if I can ask that of you, that would be fabulous. So the first I'm going to direct um, I'm going to direct it at Cassie, but I think probably Daisy has something to add here. How can the value of collaborative learning be, pre be preserved through online or asynchronous learning? So by collaborative, do you mean children collaborating or, or schools collaborating? 
Well, this question wasn't from me. It was one, from one of our audience. So okay. perhaps take well, it from both perspectives. With, let's go with children. So I think okay. that's around the, the kind of assessment and feedback loop. So on a very sort of school-based level, what we've tried to do is to, um, and this is the sort of the engagement cycle as well, is to, to, to place um, sort of what we call them celebration videos, but to place through the week and um, sharing sort of quite visually of, of what children have done and and then building on it so somebody writes something brilliant and you share it and then you build on it so you it's sort of pointing doing that in quite an organic way so that's quite sort of school level and, and quite simple I would say in terms of adults together um, I think it's sort of that idea of a few people have mentioned and people being sort of explicit about saying well who's the specialist and and and, and trying to really sort of identify people who can do different things really well what we've done though at a school-based level again is to put people in teams um, so to say who wants to be in an English team six people or a two from entry school so that's quite a lot of people and um, they come together they 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 watch and, and plan units of learning together all submitting each week um, a video of themselves and getting critique on it from from the group rather than that critique coming from from me um, so that that's working really well and I think it's quite that idea that Matt talked about schlepping is 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 quite a nice one to get around that in that you can take your time and, and watch a few videos um, by yourself and then and feed back into a jam boards are what we use if anyone's a bit of tech for people um, which are a sort of a google tool where you you move around post-its yeah thanks Cassie Daisy did you have anything else to add there around sort of maximizing that bit yeah so i agree it sort of depends on whether you're talking about collaborative learning of, of, of staff or, or pupils and actually I'd, I'd echo what cassie said and what matt was saying earlier i, I do think for, for, for adult learning generally and for teacher professional development i think we're going to see real changes um and i would say that for my context as well um before before the, the crisis i did a lot of online training and a lot of in-person training so i trained staff in how to use comparative judgment and i do a mix of online and in person um, and I've always felt the, the online stuff is, is really quite good and um, you probably do lose a little bit but as Matt was saying you gain time <laughs> if you don't have to travel so you might lose a little bit of not being able to properly interact but you're gaining back all that travel time um, uh, and obviously you've got the flexibility as well as reviewing videos so I think for, for adult learning and for CPD yeah I really think we could see that transformed and for something like comparative judgment which I work on where staff can kind of judge remotely too I think combining that with something like Zoom could be really powerful. I think the challenge with younger children, and it is almost a challenge, the younger you get, the more of a challenge it is, it is all those things around, I guess, motivation, engagement, um, not just that, but also the fact that you're not just, when you're teaching young children, you're not just teaching the content, it's all the other things, and there's so much tacit knowledge going on there as well. Um, I think I heard Doug Lamov say that, that, that he's seen... Um, he, he thinks the best online learning he's seen has been online learning that's essentially been allowed because of relationships that have been established prior to online learning in person. Um, and it would be a very different thing if you were just starting cold. So I think it will have different impacts on, on, on teacher professional development than, than on students. And I think for students, how do you get that collaboration uh, if you can't be in the classroom. Again, I think there are innovative things happening now, which were probably always existed, but people are just using them more around virtual learning environments, um, you know, online groups, 
um, students being put into you know the online groups where they, they work together on a problem or talk together or have their own Zoom breakout. So I think there are ways that you can, you can build that kind of social learning, but I think it will be hard. My, my, my fear on this is the younger the children, the harder it is to do it all online. Um, and then the older the child or the adult, you know, you, you come out, it, it does get easier to do some of these things. Yeah, thank you. And, and I absolutely agree with the idea that it, and certainly a principle that we apply at Teach First is that digital learning is far easier to achieve impact through when you've had an element of face-to-face -face prior. So by design, blended is often better, mm -hmm. COVID-19 notwithstanding, where mm -hmm. in many circumstances that hasn't been um, achievable. Um, and I absolutely agree with the idea that it is harder to achieve the sort of collaboration mm -hmm. Uh, with the very younger children I have a five mm -hmm. and a three-year-old at home and the idea of them sitting independently collaborating on the computer doesn't really work to the same extent um, so thank you very much and to be clear the question was with regards specifically to pupils but I feel like we we addressed that so that's helpful um, I'm gonna address the next question to Matt and it builds off one of the points you said around your your challenges the three particular challenges with regards to, to well, access and devices, amongst other things, that being one of your three. So the question is, how do you deal with online learning for students that do not have access to the required technology based on their circumstances? So you touched on this. What would you do about it, Matt? You just have to buy them. I mean, this is just like... Who buys like, them? Who like, buys like, them? Like, um, th this is a, of the problems that we have in front of us to solve. This is an imminently solvable one. And I think the way of solving it, ideally, is to provide school leaders with the resources to solve this problem in their context individually. Um, I had this comment, I'm a chair of governors at a school in uh, Morecambe. It's a lovely sunny seaside town and available for holiday destinations over the summer. Um, and uh, had this conversation with my head teacher last night. I ask her every time we speak how many kids have devices and um, like actually the picture is quite complicated, right? There's like, well, there is a device in the house, but it's mom's laptop for work and they can't use it between these hours. So it is a complicated picture. She knows best who has and who hasn't got one. And in the, in the dream scenario, I would just give her the money uh, to buy it. In the scenario where that doesn't happen, uh, which is the one that we're currently in, our other conversation last night was, where do we find the money in our budget to just buy these? Like, uh, or, uh, and we've done a lot of this already, how do we lend the devices that we have already in the school out to the people so that they have them at home? And I know lots of, I know lots of school leaders are worried about this because, you know, devices all come back broken potentially, like how do you, and I, I suppose I'd say two things, like actually there's quite a lot of um, uh, work being done with schools who have provided one-to-one -one devices for their pupils. And we have quite a lot of information on the damage rate, right? And it's actually really low. Uh, if you roll out a one-to-one -one device policy in your school, uh, which lots of schools have done, that you know, the device, the damage rate per year is like less than five percent in most cases from the from the uh, providers that I've spoken to. So, like, trust the pupils, lend them the device, and I mean, even if some of them come back broken, right? Our alternative here is pupil is at home, probably not learning a huge amount, and um, we would spend way more than 300 quid on that problem if they were in the building. And so uh, uh, it's frustrating. I would love us each school leader to have the resources to fix this problem. Um, we don't. And uh, I, think, I think it's just one of those situations where 
it's a crisis response. We need to buy them. And, you know, it doesn't need to be the fanciest thing in the world. Uh, it needs to have some basic functionality and ideally connect to broadband and not be on a, uh, not be on a mobile data package. Um, but like, unfortunately we like, um, school leaders are left in a very difficult position where they want to get ahead and have to solve this problem for their pupils case by case. Thank you. Cassie, as a school leader, anything to add there? Well, yeah, so we, yeah, no, I mean, I agree in terms of trying to just buy them, beg, well, not steal them, we're not stealing anything, um, beg, beg and borrow um, them. Um, that, that has been our plan. And what we found, actually, it's not just that, it's how many children can you fit around a kitchen table at any one point and sort of supervise everybody? Because it's, you know, with the best will in the world, children need supervising when they're sort of primary age. So we've done a few things. We've done what Matt's had. We've also um, made these. So we've got like booklets where all the information is sort of kind of in there as well. So if for whatever reason people can't get online or they just don't want to do it that day, then we've created these. So for every subject area, there's sort of one of these um, where the, they're sort of a textbook and workbook combined um and the children can work on them offline or online so if they miss a lesson they can do it offline and then they step back into online so that's that idea of blended learning through the individual child's journey through the week as well as what does a whole school do on an offline but this again this is an investment so none of these things come at no cost but i think schools my school particularly we're spending more money on and curriculum development and tech than we are on catch-up groups and extra adults to sort of put in places um putting the money in the sort of yeah. the the roots of the school i suppose thank yeah. you thank you both for that um slight change of tack now i've got a question for, for laddie specifically and this question says have you been thinking about cyber security in your discussions around implementing um around technology augmentation and how would you think this would apply to um, education? Yeah, I mean, I think cybersecurity comes as part and parcel in, in terms of the technology developed. So I think if, if we look at technology, I won't go into the details of probably we don't aren't tech focus, but I mean, cybersecurity is, is part and parcel of, of the technology solution you build and um, built from the bottom up. So it's fully in there. I think they're obviously just like in, in other industries uh, in, in certain, certain information that needs to stay private between the individuals. But again, there are many solutions and I was just talked to one this morning uh, who you know, can build government led security for governments, right? communication channels for governments. So uh, there's no necessarily um, nuance in, in education. I think that wouldn't apply there. Um, if I may just, just, whilst I have the mic for a minute, just maybe just augment that question just a, a bit to, I, I think, techno, I mean, everyone on this call mentions curriculum, right? And I think curriculum fundamentally is what we need to rebuild for the future. And if we rebuild curriculum, thinking, expecting that kids never go back to school again, and then we can re, really reorient it how we teach. And I think technology can enable us to get there, but, the, you know, it, from my point of view, the, the, the thing I want to profess more than anything in terms of when technology comes in is actually what it's going to do to the students. I mean, I'm in the position at Accenture where we're working hard to understand how technology is going to take away jobs from these kids' futures, right? I, I'm working with banks and, and financial, financial services, banks, retail. Where you, you go into a local supermarket, you see there's no longer a checkout person there. There's a self-checkout. Self 
you see Amazon stores, you're going to go in and walk in and there'll be no people there. So for me, it's really about how can we reorientate the curriculum to actually embrace technology in this new world, also understanding we need to do so remotely. Right. And so, you know, as, as I think about that, I think it's about the skills that we're teaching. And we mentioned collaboration there. Um, you know, how do we enable collaboration? Collaboration no longer is a, a byproduct of education. It has to be the fundamental part of what we're trying to teach kids these days, because without that, these kids won't get a job in the new world. I mean, I think you know, the other ones are problem solving, critical skills, ability to learn, creativity. Those are things that we need to be teaching kids in this new world. And we need to be doing it now. And those are things that we need to build into curriculum going forward to understand how can we assess them going forward. And that's when we then use technology to, to work out if we've done it right. Because fundamentally, I just think, you know, as one of the biggest areas that we're trying to tackle now is as we bring technology in with automation, with AI, how do we um, do so without, with, whilst we educating people, we skilling people for this new world. And we have to be thinking about this in schools too, because I assure you every single company right there is already thinking about their own employees and how they do that. So it, that's the question that we need to think about as well. Thanks, Laddie. Cassie, I can see you very politely popped your hand up, which is great. I, I fear we may enter a curriculum debate here, which with 15 minutes left, I'm loath to do, but go ahead, Cassie. No, I'm not going to go there, um, okay. although I, I want to go there. Um, but I will say that I think, you know, lots of schools have recognised the the real value in a knowledge-rich curriculum in terms of allowing um, children to adapt uh, from, from one space to another and apply their knowledge and apply their literacy and numeracy in different contexts, which has come from, from being in a knowledge-rich curriculum. I do think there are two skills that I think COVID has um, really highlighted that need to be thought about a little bit more. One is around metacognition because that that is trickier to do um, virtually, that idea of, of really sort of thinking aloud and um, articulating how you got somewhere. Uh, and I think we focus so much on explanations in online lessons, actually metacognition is probably something that's a bit lacking. And then the other one that I actually think children and young people have got so much better at is self-regulation. So how do you manage your own time? How do you stay on task? Um, how do you keep going to the end? How do you figure it out? And and what can we do now as schools um, for those? How do we find out how good different children have got at that? Um, and what do we do with, with that information? So, you know, lots of children have been learning at home without the kind of geeing along. Um, and how do we build on that really in, in schools, I think would be an interesting one. But I'm not going to mention any more about knowledge, Laddie. Thank, thanks, Cassie. Matt, Matt? Hand up. Are you going there? I promise I won't go there. I'm okay. Definitely, I mean, Daisy's like the best person in the world to have on this. So I'm just going to like point, I'm, she's below me on the screen. So I'm going to point. And <laughs> just want to share like a couple of interesting things that we've found out about that question about self-regulation that um, Cassie mentioned that I, I say this with no, uh, without having done any, uh, any detail on the store, but just like interesting things that have popped up. Right. So we can, we've had about four and a half million pupils take part in about 16 million lessons now, which gives us like a pretty um, interesting like analytics at the back of the platform to show like what's going on. Two really, two really interesting things. Um, so uh, we think there is a relationship between how many questions the pupils get right in our like we call quiz of what they were learned last time and how likely they are to complete the lesson. Um, we're really interested in 
when we get ahead of uh, the parapet next year, like getting some researchers like dig into hundreds of millions of data points that we have on this to figure out like what's the optimum number? Like what we see is, you know, they get one out of five, their chances of completing the lesson just fall off. And the second thing that we see is quite an interesting, um, so we can see how far pupils get through a lesson. Um, what we see is that if, basically, if they make it through the first three to five minutes, they finish. If they don't make it through the first three to five minutes, they don't. So there is this big drop off in participation right at the start of a lesson. But if you make it through that barrier, there's a big completion rate, like right at the end. So what we don't see uh, in the data coming through is this like very large amount to drop off seven, eight, nine minutes in. Like if you're in, you stay in. If you're not in, uh, you're going to drop out straight away. And a big factor of dropping out is like, how successful do you feel at the start of the lesson, which would point to some of the uh, evidence that we have around motivation. So just like two really interesting random things that we're seeing in our, in our data coming through. And Thank thanks you. for that, because I'm just jumping in. The reason why I mentioned that, I know we don't want to get into that, oh, because that's <laughs> what technology does, is that it enables, it enables that, right? It's an enabler for that. And if we get trapped in the mind of how can we do the old things online, it, 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 will, it will trap us into actually just delivering the old things, but worse, worse off because technology is not going to replace the classroom experience. And then the other piece I think I talk to teachers at, at schools a lot about is actually using education to go, I mean, we talked about um, uh, reports and, and, and actually one of the things I talk to um, people about as well is how do you, you know, how do you help um, improve the communication between teachers within the same school? That's where technology does efficiencies in the back end that can improve the performance of the school, the efficiency of the school. That's where technology comes in. I think if we get too trapped into the bait of classroom online, we'll actually just find we're recreating something old, but in a, in a worse fashion. So that, that's my kind of, I'm glad that you know, others see fit and I will not jump into that hole that I know it's been, I'm digging for myself. <laughs> no, not digging at all, laddie. It's really helpful and I totally agree that the, the piece around efficiencies in school I've seen some my whole family are teachers and seen them struggle with the use of teams and it but actually it just really opening up um, flexibility and ability to collaborate on with SLT at home and things like that just it, I think it's enormously helpful I think it's a really useful and pragmatic point I've got three questions well there's a ton of questions but there's three I've picked out that I want to sort of in a quick far fashion pop to the panel and then I want to come back around for sort of closing remarks around what should stick going back to that initial question so I'm going to I'm going to stick on the theme of curriculum for one more minute and it's quite I think it's quite a contentious question but we shall see um, I'm going to go to Daisy first on this does the varial provision of online learning demonstrate the need for a common curriculum so yeah that, that is an interesting question and, it, and it, it, it goes back to kind of what Matt was saying about um and I was saying earlier as well about the challenges between, I guess, decentralisation of school autonomy and uh, a common shared curriculum. And I will be honest with you, this is one where I've, you know, for, for a long time before COVID, I've seen the, 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 the strengths and the weaknesses of either model. Now, the strength of a more decentralised model is you have schools who can make decisions that are right for the, the pupils in front of them. You have more autonomy for teachers. The downside of it, and this is a pre-COVID downside I've been sort of keen to point out, is you know, you often get situations where students end up studying, say, the same book two years in a row. 
uh, or even, you know, in some cases, maybe more. The Tudors, the Tudors. Right, right. (laughs) Or If I Can Chip In With Holes by Louis Sasha, which is a great book, (laughs) but I've definitely met year nine who have read it three or four times across their time in school. Um, So, you know, that's the challenge. And that's, as I say, a pre-corona challenge. And what you've seen heightened here, and Matt, I'm sure, will agree with this, is when you're in a crisis situation, you want to be able to put something in place like Oak or, or something where you can just provide continuity for, for students. If everybody's doing something different, that gets much harder. Um, so I would say there are good pragmatic and also kind of sort of uh, equity reasons and, and to, to have a bit more of a common curriculum. I'm also aware that um, you don't you do want to maintain the ability of schools to to innovate and respond to what's right for them. And in some ways, uh, I suppose the, the, the ideal model you want are schools like Cassie's, where the hope is if you give schools freedom and you give them that freedom to innovate, the solutions will come bubbling up from the bottom up and other schools will look to those examples of best practice and follow those. So, so in some ways that's the dream and that might be the end goal we get to. Obviously we're not at that end goal at the moment and we are in the middle of a crisis, so it's, it's not easy, is it? But I, I, I do, I've always seen the importance and anyone who's read anything I've written will say the importance of a common curriculum, but I also would be keen to say, I do also think the autonomy of schools is important. So there is a tension there. Thank you. Now I've got these two, unless anyone's got anything burning to add to that response I'm going to jump on is that okay with the panelists great so um, one more well another one is so with this increase in home learning um, and Matt you referred to the local lockdown Leicester as an example currently do you see this uh, by as in our current our COVID response right now as something that could be used moving forward for days of absence even in a post-COVID world Matt yeah I so, so um we have had like a number of people get in touch with us about like other weird and wonderful uses that they might see for some of the things that have been created and you know are we thinking about um and we've just kept like a long list of things that people have said um let me give you some examples of those i've already talked about the teacher training one um something that we've not thought of very very interesting um second one is uh teacher sickness right? We've all been there. You're unwell, you wake up in the morning and you've got to try and drag yourself to your computer to make sure you provide cover work for all of your colleagues that are doing work. That Like this is really hard and it's really unpleasant when you're really unwell. Like having better ready-made resources, like great. Um, pupil absences, another uh, reason, like exemplification, another reason. So that there are, uh, COVID has showed us that there are a whole load of reasons why a great teacher motivated people don't arrive in a classroom together like all the time and our question is like how resilient is our system you know our own school like people misbehaving we take them out of a classroom and like we could definitely do better stuff with them when they're out of that classroom it tends to be something that the teacher can find on their desk or like there's packs available but they're not very well aligned with the curriculum like there's just lots of reasons why we can do better and be more resilient to deal with covid-like situations even mm-hmm. if it's not covid mm-hmm. thanks matt um i'm gonna i'm going to, daisy unless i think you were going to talk there unless you've got something i'm going to jump in with what i think is the last but important question if that's okay so this is something we haven't touched on yet and 
Cassie, I'm interested in your thoughts. So what, if anything, can be done to replicate the emotional support and security of a school-based environment if children are at home? And I think that's important, not one to be forgotten. And we did talk briefly around earlier around the socialisation aspect of it, but the emotional and security that school provides for so many. What can we do about that, Cassie? I'm going to give you two minutes. Um, <laughs> I think it's really difficult. I think what we focused on in terms of online lessons, even where they're asynchronous, is spending a little bit of time on building a relationship with the child. So, um, you know, if you watch our lessons, you'll see um, teachers talk about, we've had lots of nests of birds and we have cats, teachers with pets are a thing. Um, so sort of letting the child into a world that the child really then invests in seems to be really important for children in sustaining um, their engagement and making them feel part of something um, that the child just gets used to a whole environment around that adult that that's worked really really well and then i think probably the well-being school um is where we've seen that that is actually a gap and that's something that all the phone calls in the world won't work um and again we've we fo we're focusing on videos there so taking somebody into a world with with a therapist and talking them through how to go through a particular crisis as best we can but nothing is going to replace um, you know the building of communities which are schools you just can't do it as well I just don't think that's ever going to be um, done really best we Thank can do you. and I absolutely so I've said this to Cassie already my son has very much enjoyed the Charles Dickens phonics lessons and Wendy the cat has been a firm favorite in our house so I, I it's very, very Big much investment Wendy the cat pays yeah. highly yeah. <laughs> having never met obviously any of the teachers where you live in Bristol um, okay so as a, as a means of wrapping up um, the, the the panel in the last two minutes I'd like for 20 seconds 30 seconds what should stick what is the one thing that one silver lining of this situation or one of the silver linings of this situation that you think should stick in the sector um, I'm going to go around as per myself I'm going to go Cassie, Matt, Laddie, Daisy Cassie over to you Okay, well, I mean, I would say the kind of sharp focus that we're all talking about across the sector on evidence-based um, learning and the sharing that's happening, that collaboration where it's, it's for, for once maybe not felt competitive and people are freely giving and freely learning and being quite open. Um, I think that should stick. I don't know if it will, but I would like it to. Excellent. Thank you. I agree. Matt? Um, I think we have realised that our system isn't as resilient as it maybe should be. And um, what I would like to see stick is um, the thinking that we're doing on backup plans and uh, making sure that we're not caught in this situation. Again, um, it's been a really, really difficult term for teachers and school leaders. And uh, we've learned loads and I am sure that uh, nobody wants to repeat what we've just had. So um, thinking about resilience planning and building that into the system, I think is what's going to stick. Thanks. Laddie. Uh, the, the conversation, I think what we found now is we have more and more people invested in education. Um, you know, you, parents especially understand the strain that teachers are on to day to day. And so I think that we need to use that momentum much like other, you know, protests have happened right now but use that momentum to demand more from the government to actually make a systemic change and you know and i think you know the collaboration i've seen here has been phenomenal i would love to use the technology to enable that more like open banking has done for the financial sector um but yeah i think if you just keep conversation keep conversation going demand more 
um, I think now's the time to, to finally get it. Thank you. Daisy. I think uh, just the carrying on using some of these, these new tools, so the, the virtual learning environment, um, but the Google Forms, uh, even some of the, 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 you know, the back office sort of, you know, not, not, not the student facing ones, but, but those tools that help make things more efficient. So just the greater familiarity with them that people carry on using those and carry those over into homework tasks, home learning, um, and don't forget about the, the good things you can do with those. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much to all of our panelists. Please do continue the debate on Twitter, hashtag future terms panel, um, panels. The, Jacob has put in the chat bar the link to where the videos of the previous panels can be found and also you'll be sent um, uh, an, an email link to this video of this one if you registered well obviously when everyone on this call did but huge thank you to Cassie, Matt, Laddie and Daisy for taking part and for giving up your time and to thank you to everyone who is listening. Bye. Yeah. Thanks for listening to Future Terms from Teach First. We'll be back soon with another event. To find out more and to attend, visit teachfirst.org.uk forward slash future terms.